happy Independence Day. Um, it's because of our independence that we get to worship in a pavilion in a very public place. And we take that for granted so often. I will tell you that there's an, another half to that celebration of independence, and it's that in our hearts, we also want to be independent, period. And so today we celebrate independence and we celebrate dependence, right? We celebrate dependence on a God who is holy and just and meets every need that we have. And so even as we, as we have this inner war within us today of celebrating independence, we also celebrate dependence on God. And so uh, I'm just thankful for that and that we get to do it together. And so kind of the opening remarks there, celebrate the independence. Remember that, that we have an ability that a lot of people don't have to gather in, in a public place and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And we gather as a dependent people on a God who satisfies. Um, just this morning, we're continuing our time in Proverbs. We've been um, doing a two-month series through Proverbs, and we're really focusing on uh, these seven deadly follies and looking at how they distort truth, how they've drawn us away from God But the hope would not be that we put so much emphasis on these sins and these follies, but the hope would be that we are drawn to a Savior this morning. We are drawn to a God who knows us intimately and loves us. And so this morning, it's great to gather together by grace at the foot of the cross, looking to Jesus, our Savior and our Redeemer. As we think about the truth of our need for salvation, we look today at... Uh, the salvation that we need from folly, and the particular folly we're going to look at is lust. And so we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 20 through 35. So if you want to find that in your Bible, we'll be spending our time there this morning. Again, we hope to put our emphasis not on the sin and these follies and how they would rob us of peace, rest, satisfaction, and joy in the Lord, but really what we would look to is how can we be satisfied? If we are made in the image of God, if we are made as beings who long for these things, whether it be gluttony, and we talked about the the longing for food and a satisfaction, or, or really anything and a satisfaction that we could get there. We talked last week, James led us so well through uh, the, the, the folly of greed and how we all struggle with that. And today we're looking at lust and how we have this, this desire, this sexual desire, and we're quickly going to see that the root of that sin is the same as it is with all those other sins. It's a lack of satisfaction in who God is. We will run to other things rather than Christ. But this particular sin has its own... Uh, consequences, its own damage. We, we've probably all experienced portions of the damage that the sin causes. And so we know when we talk about lust, we're talking about something that is serious. And God takes it very seriously. In His Word, throughout all of His Word, He has uh, talked about what it means to love one another and to give oneself to one another And what it looks like in the context of marriage to be fully committed one man to one woman. And that's where we'll find 
the, the, the best satisfaction this side of heaven that we're going to find. And so he calls us to it, and he's ordained it, and he set it aside as a way for us to see what it looks like to be satisfied in him. We're in the middle of a, a topical sermon series, which is uncomfortable for me, but it's good. It's good to be able to, to draw some of these things out. But we're going to continue to build, even as we're looking at different follies, what is the root? The root of these follies is an unbelief. It's an unbelief that either God is there, so we don't believe that he's there, or we believe that he's not good. Like, why would he give us these, these urges, these desires that we have in us, and then tell us that we can't meet those desires any way that we want? We believe that he's not good. We believe that the way that he has called us is not right. And so this morning, we're going to look at that unbelief. We're going to expose it. We're going to say, man, I've chased after something other than you, God. And we can all say that. All of us together. Whether this particular folly of lust is something that you struggle with right this second, or it's something that you've struggled with in the past, or it might be something that you would struggle with in the future. God is using this to say, hey, our desires need to be met in Him. And so this morning we run to Proverbs. Our first priority this morning is to know God, or as John Piper likes to say, to see and savor Christ. Or as we've looked at in our catechism, the, the first answer to the, to the first question says to glorify God. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's what we're here for. That's what we believe even as we practice that unbelief. <laughs> like Even as we go out and we chase after these other things, we, re, we rest on this bedrock that God is good and that we were put here for His glory and our enjoyment. So our focus is not on us this morning or our, on our sin. It's not even on our righteousness and how we can go and fix all these things. This morning's sermon is not a, a ten ways to kill lust before it kills you. It's not this practical aspect. Although those are really important. Okay? They're really important. I'm just not sure that this is the context for them. But I know what this is the context for. It's for us to point to Jesus and say, if that's true... If he satisfies me more than anything else, why am I going to run to these other things? And we do that together. I have the privilege of standing here, but I'm also sitting there hearing God's word to us as a people, as sinners gathered at the foot of the cross in need of grace, saying, God, if that's true, will you do something drastic in my life? Will you do this transforming and conforming work that you've promised to do? And so we ask him. We remember why he is worthy of our love and our affection and our worship and our lives. And so let's look together at Proverbs 6 and see how God is calling us to love him in purity of mind, body, and soul. So that he's greatly glorified and we find our joy. Proverbs 6, verse 20. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. To preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress, 
Do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will, be, will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he's hungry. But if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense, and he who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his grace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. Let's pray. God, even reading your word makes us think that we should have another time of confession. (laughs) Another prayer. God, because when we see our folly before us, we know that we need a Savior. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that that is the purpose to point us to the good news of Christ. I pray that as we walk through this morning, what it looks like to uh, live in a world where desires run rampant, where we're told that we can do whatever we like, whatever makes us feel good, Lord, that we would uh, not hear those lies, but we would hear truth, the truth that you satisfy. God, I know that my words are unable to convey that, but I know that your spirit is, is here and your word has been given to us and you long for us to know that. Lord, would you change us? Will you transform us and conform us to your image? Both for our satisfaction, for our enjoyment, but even more, Lord, so that you would be glorified, so that others would see us and long for a satisfaction that we have that they're looking everywhere for. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, As we've seen, these sins, these follies are so often not even about the action. They're not about the, the, even the attitude sometimes. They're about this deep thing in the heart. And so Solomon comes to his son and, and he begins by addressing the heart. Before he gets into the sin of adultery that he's going to talk about, he says in verse 20, My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. And so, as God begins to speak to us about sin, he talks to us first and foremost about our hearts that would want to chase after things other than him. begins with a call to remember your father and your mother and their instruction and their teaching. Remember in such a way that it would lead not only your actions and attitude, but even your affection, right? God wants our affection more than anything because he's poured out his affection on us. He's drawn us into his family. He's adopted us as his own. 
That's the greatest affection that we could ever experience. And he longs to be in relationship with us. And so the first wisdom that Solomon gives to his son in this portion is to bind these instructions on your heart. The wisdom of Solomon is renowned. We know that among all men he's been lifted up as someone who who everyone says is wise. He's one of the wisest men ever. And so you would think that a son would immediately listen. That when he's given these instructions, these commands, he would walk in them. But before we begin to say, silly son, (laughs) we have to remember that we've been given God's word. And he is wisdom. And we have all of it. And we've been given this instruction, these commandments, and we don't walk in them. So we can put ourselves in the place of Solomon's son as he receives this instruction. I want us to remember that the promise of walking in God's way is that we would have life and that we would have it abundantly. So even as we look at the sin and the destruction that it causes and and why it's bad, what are we called to first and foremost? James was so helpful last week. Uh, Psalm 1611, he brought that up, and and we're going to continue to look at that. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the promise of God for us today. That we would have the fullness of life the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. When we think about this sin of lust, what is it chasing after? It's chasing after pleasure. It's chasing after a a fleeting satisfaction. We don't think that it's fleeting in the moment, but we find out it is later. And so lust, we chase after these other things. When God has promised us The path of life, fullness of joy, and pleasures forevermore. Oh, silly sons that we are, that we would do anything other than what God has given us for his instruction. When this is the promise that we have. Verses 25 through 35, really looking at this, what is lust? Lust is this uh, recognition first of beauty... But it goes beyond that because really in Christ, in God, we, we can recognize beauty. There is nothing wrong for you to say, man, that is beautiful, whatever it is. Because if we recognize that it's beauty given by God who gives good gifts, that's a, that's a great thing. That's the relationship that we have with God, that he would give us beautiful gifts and we say, God, that's beautiful. The problem becomes with this other little word in here that says desire. Desire becomes this, this thing that awakens in us that we have to have it. We need to take it. And I would say when we're looking at lust, um, which is a vice, one of the virtues that would go hand in hand with that would be love. What has God given us? God has given us love, which gives of itself to another, where lust comes in and takes and says, I need this, I desire this, I have to have this, and so I will take it. Do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. You see, 
this desire that, that Solomon's son would have, and he knows that, that this is pervasive. And if it was pervasive in their culture, how much more pervasive is it in our culture? Where you are told that you can define what is good and what is right and what is true for you. And there is no absolute and there is no standard. So whatever makes you feel good, you go and get it. And we look and we see that nothing but brokenness and destruction and a lack has occurred from this. People are dying because they've gone after everything that they could get and they found that it doesn't satisfy. Whether that's sexually, whether that's greed, whether that's wealth, whether that's um, approval, whatever it is that you would go after instead of God, in the end you will find out that that does not meet the satisfaction that you would want. And yet we're told to go and do that. By culture. And the destruction that this causes is incredible. We see this destruction in verse 27. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? You see, as we look for the satisfaction in places other than God, it does things that are destructive. It destroys marriages. It destroys relationships. It destroys uh, the children that... That, are seen, that see the relationships. It destroys a culture because now you can go out and you can do whatever you want instead of living in this path that gives life, that gives joy, and that gives pleasures forevermore, and you settle for something that is fleeting and unsatisfying. But all of our advertisements point to that. All of um, the, the things that would attract people point to this fleeting desire. What did God do? Like if this is so damaging, then why do we have these desires within us? You see, God created human beings in His image. Male and female, He created them. This is John Piper quote from him, with capa- he created male and female, created them with capacities for intense sexual pleasure and with a calling to commitment in marriage and continence in singleness. And his goal in creating human beings with personhood and passion was to make sure that there would be sexual language and sexual images that would point to the promises and the pleasures of God's relationship to his people and our relationship to him. In other words, the ultimate reason, not the only one why we are sexual, is to make God more deeply knowable. The language and imagery of sexuality is the most graphic and most powerful that the Bible uses to describe the relationship between God and His people, both positively when we are faithful and negatively when we are not. God's used, God God created us in this way as sexual beings to image what it would be like to be satisfied in Him. Maybe you're thinking, because I know I think it all the time, that's not the same thing. (laughs) I think we're right. I think it's not the same thing. I think the satisfaction we're going to receive in knowing and seeing Jesus is better than anything that we could ever imagine. 
I think it's going to be this whole thing of, of the, the gluttony that we would run to food for and we would experience a little bit of satisfaction there. It's going to be this combination of, of our lust that would take us somewhere else. It's going to be this greed. It's going to be all of those things and we're going to be satisfied in Jesus like no other thing has satisfied us before. I don't think they're the same thing. do think that God has given us a good gift that we abuse and that we've mistreated and that we've run after. And I think that he knew that. So much of God's word, and I was talking to Chris about this, when you look at the prophets, they define Israel as this wayward wife who would run to other things. And he was the faithful husband that gave them good things, gave of himself, gave them his law, his commandments. Everything that they needed to know who he was, and they chased after other things. I've chased after so many other things, and God has given me himself. I am that wayward, adulterous wife. And maybe you're thinking, Joel, you don't know where I am. That's true. I don't know where you're at. I do know that God is faithful And that God will use even the brokenness for his glory. We look at it and we, speaking of the prophets, we see that God calls Hosea to go and and marry a prostitute. And she doesn't immediately get changed and everything's hunky-dory and it's beautiful. No, she continues in her wayward ways and runs after other pleasures. And God has called Hosea to do that as an image of, hey, how have you... How has Israel chased after other things? How have we chased after other things? But we have a God who is faithful in the midst of our running away. We have a God who not only knows the story that you're in now, but he knows the ultimate end of the story where you, if you are in Christ, will sit at the banquet table with him and you will be satisfied as with the richest of foods, as with the greatest pleasure, pleasures forevermore. Why have we been created this way? We've been created this way to experience a bit of that satisfaction that we would find in Christ and in Christ alone. And maybe this morning you're, you're single and you're saying, Joel, that's great for married people that you're talking about. Listen, I'm, I'm telling us this morning that the satisfaction that we're going to receive in Jesus is better than the than the intimacy that you will experience in marriage. And if we run to marriage looking for that satisfaction, we're not going to find it there either. So we need to, whether we are single, whether we are married, wherever state we're in, we need to be satisfied with Christ and in Him alone. And then we can enjoy the good gifts that God has given us. Because they become just gifts. They become this beauty that we can recognize and say, God, that's beautiful. And you are the good gift giver and you are so kind. Who am I that you would love me so much that you would save me and then that you would give me these gifts? There's a call here to not only seek satisfaction in in your spouse, but to be a, a giver, to love well. To love and give yourself. Because 
We, in the context of marriage, are imaging who Christ is and what he's done. He has ordained this so that a dying world would see couples that would lay down their lives for each other. That would give up everything for one another, not expecting anything in return. Not expecting anything in return. That's for me. Not expecting anything in return. So much of how I love my wife is an expectation that if I do the dishes now, she'll do them next time. If I do this now, I'll get this in return. No true love gives of itself and does not expect anything in return. This is what God has laid down for us to see. And yet we, like Solomon's son, have this desire to run to other things. And we see that the consequence of that lust, the consequences of running to other things to be satisfied, is like holding fire in our chest and expecting that it won't consume us, that we will not be burned. We're silly. We've believed a lie. Not once, not twice. We continue to believe this lie. See, true love can happen in a marriage because that's the way that God has ordained for us as one man and one woman to give up everything for each other. To love each other well. To protect one another. To not mistreat one another, but to encourage and build each other up. This proverb is about adultery, and it's about where this wayward son would run somewhere other than what God has given him. And we have what God has given us, and yet we run to other things. True love says that I will lay down my life for my wife and for those around me. See, all of us lust. All of us have this desire to, to be satisfied. It's in James 1, 14 and 15, it says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. The desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Listen, if we're carrying a fire in our chest and not expecting to get burned, we're silly. We lack sense, as it says in verse 32. He who commits adultery lacks sense. If we walk on hot coals and don't expect our feet to be burned, we are dumb. That's all there is to it. And God has given us not just not being dumb, but perfect wisdom to walk in. Perfect joy. While we all struggle with lust and we're indulging in sin, but, but are we fighting for joy? Like, I think we're all going to still struggle with these things. Until Christ comes and we are truly satisfied, we will run to other things. But are we fighting for joy or are we indulging in the sin? That's key here. Because otherwise, if we, if we say, well, anytime I struggle with sin, that's, I've, I've lost the battle. No. You're going to go and you're going to struggle. But are you fighting for joy or are you just saying, I, I'm indulging in it? You see, the difference between, this is a, a quote from William Art Arno, the difference between an unconverted man or woman and a converted man is not that one has sins and the other has none, but that the one takes part with his cherished sins against the dreaded God and the other takes part with a reconciled God against his hated sins. Do you hate sin? Do you hate that you would run to other things than Christ? You're in a good place. 
We're going to do that together. We're going to encourage one another. We're going to say, no, we're going to hold out the good thing, the beautiful thing, the face of Jesus, and say, that's what we want. Let's chase it together. Let's be patient with one another as we chase that. But the devil is a liar. Okay? So even as we've talked about how we have this internal struggle because of indwelling sin, we also have an enemy that would want to allure us and entice us with these lies. I love Ray Ortland. If only evil were always ugly, life would be simpler. If only everything were color-coded to make it obvious, if only there were warning labels on all the poisons. But in this world, disaster can be attractive. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. He is magnificent, but does the magnificent devil know how to build a relationship? He seems so successful, but does he know how to live? And the truth is, he is a fool, and he wants to make us his fools as we step on his well-concealed landmines. God has given us life. The opportunity to walk in wisdom in the path of life. And we are fooled. And so now God has given us His Spirit to help us not be fools. He's given us this church to encourage one another. He's given us His Word that leads us in the path of life. We have all of these things and we get to walk in them together. And be, don't, we get to call each other, don't be foolish. Let's enjoy Christ. Let's look to Him. Let's find our satisfaction there. Don't get so focused on your sin. Look to Christ. Listen, we've, there's a pain and an unfulfillment when we indulge in our sin. I wish that I had a practical solution for you. I wish that I could, we could take this pill that would make us not chase these silly things anymore. But for some reason, God has called us not in the magic of one moment to be changed perfectly, but to walk in a belief that we are righteous because of what Christ has done on our behalf. And so we have to walk in faith. Even when we don't see it, we have to believe that, God, your word says that you have purchased me that I am not my own anymore, that I'm bought with a price, and that price was the blood of your son. So God, help me to walk in that. You see, where do we fight for joy in the midst of lust? We fight for joy because Jesus is love. He has come, and he has walked perfect sacrifice on our behalf. We talked about, hey, what is a beautiful relationship between a man and a woman? Well, they lay down their lives for each other, and they encourage one another, and they build each other up, and they give. You know what? We can't do that. So don't go from here and say, oh, Joel just said I need to love and I need to give and I need to lay down my life. No, we cannot do that, but we have one who has come and done it. Jesus has come and he has laid down his life perfectly for us. He did not trivialize the sin of lust, but he took it all the way to the cross. It was that big of a deal that we would run after all these other things that he would take it to the cross and he would say, they cannot pay it, but I will pay it for them. And I will pay the price so that one day they will be satisfied in me. One day they will have all of their desires met in me. 
Christ, when he speaks about lust, he tells them to, if, if lust causes you to sin, then you need to gouge out your eye or cut off your arm. That's how serious he took it. But he didn't cut off his arm or gouge out his eye. He laid down his life. He was cursed. He was stricken. He was cursed and, and God departed. Like the, the perfect unity that we talk about was broken at the cross. Jesus was separated from the Father. He bore that for us so that we could be united to the Father in perfect relationship with Him. I love, like when we talk about satisfaction, when we talk about what, what do we really want, I love Tim Keller's quote in Meaning of Marriage. He says this, and it's talking about, like, what do we want? When over the years someone has seen you at your worst and knows you with all your strength and flaws, yet commits him or herself to you wholly, it is a consummate experience. See, like, that's the beauty of marriage, is that these two people are loving each other perfectly, or laying down their lives for one another, not because they think the other one is perfect, Okay, there's no expectation of that because the beauty of marriage is that after 30, 40, 50 years, you know that other person is not perfect. If there was any delusion during the honeymoon, you found it out. And it usually doesn't take 30, 40, 50 years. But you also know that God has given you this gift. So you can lay down your life, you can lay down your wants and your desires for their wants and their desires and you can experience an intimacy and a closeness that you never experienced before. That's the consummate experience that Keller's talking about. He goes on, he says, To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, it's a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. This is the satisfaction that we desire, that we long for. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. Listen, you don't need marriage to be able to have that experience. You are truly loved and truly known by the God of the universe. When we... When we understand that, then all of these other relationships can be fully accepted and, and treated as the beautiful gift that they are. Because I don't look to you for satisfaction. I know that I'm satisfied in God. I want to leave you this morning with my, my favorite verse in the Bible. When we talk about what does it mean to be known and loved... Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. This is Paul, and he's writing to the church, and this is his prayer. Like, this is what's going to change us to make us into a people of God, is if we know God's love for us, and we experience it, and we treasure it and enjoy it. Ephesians 3, 14 through 19 say this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what are the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Listen, that knowing... That's that intimate knowing. 
that you would know Christ. I don't, I, I can't understand how these two things go together. This, this, like this, the way that God has created us to be sexual beings with sexual desires, and how He says that He has satisfied us with Himself. But I know that it's true because His Word says it, and He says that to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that's what our hope is. If we can have that kind of intimacy with Christ our Savior, all these other secondary lusts, they fade away. Listen, it, it, it is practical. There's one step to kill the lust that's killing you. It's to love Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength that there is no other form of lust. There is no other chasing after other things because you love your Savior. Now, we're not going to go out and do that perfectly today, but we are going to walk in this path of righteousness seeking our satisfaction, seeking our desires met in Him, seeking pleasures forevermore in the face of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.